Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and today we'll be starting our conversation about osteoarthritis of the knee. So let me introduce our first set of panelists. The second set will be reserved for episode number two on this condition, which will be released in two weeks. But today, we start with Ruth Werner. She is an educator about massage therapy and pathology, who will help us set the foundation of understanding on a physiological level. She'll talk about what's actually happening on a tissue level with each individual who has this condition. Next, we have Whitney Lowe, our orthopedic massage expert, who has decades of experience in the clinical setting, as well as a treasure trove of CEU classes. He will be followed by Rick Gold, our Eastern medicine and bodywork specialist, who will be giving us his thoughts from his extensive experience working as an Eastern medicine doctor and acupuncturist, as well as a massage educator. He'll be followed by Walt Fritz, who is an evidence-based physical therapist specializing in myofascial release. Last but not least, we will wrap up with Meredith Stevens, who is a Pilates physical therapist and movement expert, as well as being a massage therapist and a trainer for Anatomy Trains. As usual, there's going to be a lot of different opinions and perspectives that will be shared over the course of this and upcoming episodes. I want to be clear that I'm not trying to put any one opinion over the other. I believe that my job is to bring experienced people together and ask them good questions. In two weeks, I'll release the second episode on osteoarthritis of the knee with a different set of panelists. Clearly, we have quite a bit to get to, so let's dive in. I bring you the first panel on osteoarthritis of the knee joint. All right, and as always, we are going to start with Ruth Werner, who's a massage therapy educator that specializes in pathology for massage therapists. And what she's going to do is she's going to help set up the context for this discussion around the particular condition and kind of lay the groundwork from where all the other conversations can take place. So thank you so much for joining me, Ruth. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Haley. All right, so let's talk about osteoarthritis of the knee joint. Okay, I'd love to do that. So um, osteoarthritis is um it's it's a fascinating condition it is part of the human condition as we uh as we are are living with the fact that we are most of us gonna you know gain in age into our 70s and 80s um most of us will probably experience osteoarthritis of one kind or another and it is most prevalent at our weight-bearing joints which is you know which is to say the knees and the hips although we also get get it at the knuckles which i find fascinating because those are not weight bearing joints and you know you get the shoulders and some other places too but um you know the knee is a nice is a nice point of reference for us to talk about so the term osteoarthritis refers to inflammation of the joint and here's a situation where the itis aspect of it is correct there is actually inflammation at the joint one of the consequences of inflammation in the joint capsule is we um, we secrete uh, and we have and we recruit um, specialized cells that secrete chemicals that can be problematic and that can contribute to the breakdown of our articular cartilage. So that's the hallmark of osteoarthritis is, you know, we have a joint like the knee where we have contacting surfaces and each of those surfaces in the knee, there are three, right? There's the top of the tibia, 
and there's the bottom of the femur, and then there's the patella. And those contacting surfaces should be covered by a nice, thick, extremely smooth, slippery layer of articular cartilage. And then we have the joint capsule wraps around the whole thing that's lined with synovial membrane that's producing synovial fluid. Did you know why synovial fluid is called that? I don't. Oh, it means with egg, sin ovi. Uh, and it's because synovial fluid looks like egg white. So have egg white in your mind as you think about what synovial fluid looks like and feels like, okay? Um, so <laughs> you're a wonderful foil for me, Haley. I really appreciate this. That's what I'm here so for. <laughs> right. So that's in a healthy joint, right? So we have articular cartilage and a joint capsule that completely wraps and, 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 and closes the whole thing. Nothing should be, you know, easily getting in and out. There is some blood supply, but it's pretty minimal. Um, and, uh, and synovial membrane that's producing synovial fluid that's lubricating our joint. And the more we move, the more synovial fluid we make, you know, within limits. Uh, there's a saying, one of my friends frequently says, um, motion is lotion. Um, you know, so if you want to keep your joints lubricated, we keep them in movement, which makes a lot of sense. But what happens with osteoarthritis for a bunch of reasons um, is that the articular cartilage begins to degenerate. And so if you think about where the femur sits on top of the tibia, if some of that smooth surface begins to break down, that's going to not be so great for the articular cartilage on top of the tibia, right? Um, and so now we have two surfaces that are kind of rough and they're rubbing over each other and that can expand and it's not growing in the sense of like a tumor grows and that we're not adding cells to it, but the size of the lesion can increase. By lesion, I mean, you know, pathologic changes in the tissue. Um, and this can affect the back of the patella um, and it hurts and it causes inflammation and the inflammation doesn't help. The inflammation actually helps, you know, participates in the degrading of the cartilage. And one of the weird things that can happen is, is the bone that is deep to the articular cartilage in response to this inflammation can grow bone spurs, it can get little divots and holes in it, it can get weaker at the joint. Um, you know, there's all, there's, there's slowly progressive but substantial damage to the joint that can happen with osteoarthritis. Um, and, uh, you know, and so ultimately, it's very hard to, it's, it's, it's all but impossible to reverse. Um, where with some types of tissues like bone tissue and, and, and some other tissues, when it's injured, we, we can recruit new cells, osteoblasts, fibroblasts that spit out new bits of tissue. We don't do that with chondroblasts. With chondroblasts, we have what are there that are making new cartilage but we don't get more of them. So if we put more wear and tear in our cartilage than our chondroblasts can keep up with, then we're gonna end up with net destruction of cartilage. Does that make sense? It does. So where yeah. does the massage therapy come in in terms of impact? What a good question. Um, we're not gonna have any impact on osteoarthritis. Sorry, massage therapy will not cure arthritis. What massage therapy can do is address the pain. And, uh, and it does that, as it turns out, pretty darn well. You know, so when we have pain at the knee or pain at the hip or pain at the shoulder or wherever this arthritis is happening, 
um, one of the responses to the pain is that the, you know, when muscles are in an area that's painful and that we want to protect, the muscles get tight. That's an, that's an appropriate sort of protective response, but it can actually make things worse and cuts down on our range of motion and messes up the way we move and interact with gravity. Um, and so, you know, the, having massage as a way to interrupt some of those pain cycles can be really helpful. There's some nice data about, uh, the, in fact, the biggest uh, grant from the National Institutes of Health on a massage therapy study was, was someone looking at um, relaxation massage for knee pain um, and getting some really, some really nice results. Again, not reversing the osteoarthritis, but helping people deal with the pain. And one of the things that I would really like to ask as a follow-up question is whether receiving massage might make it possible for someone to delay having a joint replacement surgery. Now, joint replacement surgeries are awesome. And, and, our, and, and the, the sophistication with which we're doing those today is amazing compared to even, you know, 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, a person in their 40s who needs a joint replacement surgery, they probably are going to have to have at least one more because there's a life expectancy to those prosthetic joints. Um, so if we can delay absolutely needing a joint replacement surgery, we can maybe cut down on the number of surgeries people have. Um, and that's a big benefit. So that's for me. That's the big role for massage in the in the in relationship to osteoarthritis at the knee or the hip, is is we can help deal with the pain. We're not going to reverse the osteoarthritis, um, but possibly we can improve someone's overall health and uh, and and pain levels to the point where they can maybe you know delay having to do a a, a more invasive intervention. And do you know anything about microfracture surgery? Because I've heard of that as a possible uh, intervention for rebuilding cartilage, and that where they go in and they make small, uh, small fractures in the bone, and it secretes uh, a type of fluid that turns into what is essentially cartilage. And it's not a perfect thing, but it's it's something that they've they've tried to use. Yeah, I am not familiar with this. Um, it sounds like a really interesting option mm -hmm. and I would be interested to know what the long-term quality of that tissue is. Um, you know, joint replacement surgery, if you've ever seen, there's a gazillion YouTube videos of this. It's not for the squeamish. Uh, it's, you know, it's an, it's, it's hardcore. There's carpentry tools involved. And, uh, and so if there are ways to get us to the outcome that we're looking for, which is pain-free ambulation, right, without having to replace the joint, um, you know, I think that sounds really exciting. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. You bet. You can find out more about Ruth through her website at ruthwerner.com. You can also read her work in A Massage Therapist's Guides to Pathology, a book that she wrote, which is now published by Books of Discovery. All right, now we're going to go ahead and turn to Whitney Lowe, who's an orthopedic massage specialist, to talk about his take on our condition of interest today. Thanks for joining us, Whitney. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, talk to me a little bit about osteoarthritis when it comes to the knee joint. Yeah, so um, this is something that uh, is quite common for just aging in general, is the degenerative changes that occur from the compressive loads at the knee joint. So uh, osteoarthritis is an extremely common thing, and we're seeing it now treated, of course, very frequently with knee replacements as people get older. 
Um, but a big question also still comes up about, you know, what's really at the root cause of this pain problem? And are there some other things that we can do short of joint replacement that we might be able to help with? Um, one of the significant things that we notice here, again, and this is um, indicative of some of the imaging studies that have been done recently, is that we find lots of people having arthritic changes that are visible on imaging that don't correlate or correspond with any particular type of pain complaint. So there's a lot of instances where we, see, we can see you know, really badly degenerated, uh, degenerated knees from the standpoint of what it looks like on imaging, but they don't have pain in that area. So what this means now is that we, we can also begin thinking that just because there are some degenerative changes there doesn't mean that person has to be experiencing pain. And therefore, there may be some other ways to intervene with pain uh, solutions there that might not have to do with trying to reverse the degenerative changes in the bone itself. And this is a, a, a really a valuable factor for us as massage therapists to be thinking about that, for example, a person with knee osteoarthritis might get some really significant pain relief by us just working the surrounding muscles, the quadriceps, the hamstrings, working the patellar retinaculum, you know, some good specific soft tissue work on all those structures around the knee that stimulates proprioceptive activity of that area, which sends a lot of positive input into the brain about what's going on in this region. And it may actually significantly help in pain reduction, even if it's not doing anything to reverse the arthritic changes in the bone itself. And is it simply just activating that proprioception to those muscles that uh, that would help reduce the amount of sensation? That seems to be the case right now. I think we're still at, at the stages of learning a lot about what is really happening with the work that we do. There is clearly some benefit in um, massage work for, I mean, there's even been some studies, if I remember correctly, where they did some specifically massage treatment for um, osteoarthritis of the knee and measuring improvements in, in pain scales associated with that. And then the question really comes up, what was the massage actually doing? Because it wasn't reversing the arthritic changes uh, in the bone itself. But it really does seem to be having much more of an impact on neurological structures and neurological facets of those conditions. And that's what we're looking and, and seeing happening most commonly. And do you have any particular anecdotal stories about working with clients that have had uh, osteoarthritis of the knee? Yeah, I had a, a woman that I saw one time with um, knee osteoarthritis, and it was moderately advanced, and she had it in, in one knee and was starting to have some pain complaints in another, in another knee. And she had been through the, you know, sort of through the ringer of lots of different people, and she really did not. She had had some doctors who had suggested to her joint replacement. She really didn't want to do that. Um, but she was also highly motivated to do some things that would really help. So um, in addition to the massage work that we did with her, we really encouraged her a lot on home care strategies of things that would emphasize her knee feeling good. And this is not only mechanical things, but, you know, I asked her, like, what do you like to do? Uh, and she talked about, you know, liking to be out in her garden and liking to go walking with her dog. And, uh, you know, so I really was encouraging her to, do those kinds of things in ways that might um, do little bits at a time, but also keep her feeling really positive about her knee as she did them. And what we were refining is, and I don't think any one of these single factors did it alone, but I do think it was a combination of the massage work, the stimulation of the neuro nervous system, the, the uh, positive 
uh, environment that we created around the things that she was doing outside of the treatment room that made her feel like, I'm going to be able to do this and I'm going to be okay. And I really like doing this. And it, though, all of those things really seem to make a, a big impact for her. And, and the pains uh, from this problem began to abate, you know, after a series of months of, of doing this. And she said, like, I'm not doing this surgery now. Cause like, I find there's some other ways that we can do that. And I'm like, well, that's great. You know, that's, this is really wonderful. So apart from imaging, uh, is there any other uh, assessment tools that you would use to help uh, massage therapists kind of hone in on osteoarthritis as a source of someone's discomfort? Yeah, so we can, uh, if we expand the discussion to looking at osteoarthritis outside just the knee and, uh, you know, applicable to the knee, but also relevant in other areas, a lot of times there may be significant joint swelling that's associated with that. Sometimes there isn't, but you know, by definition, osteoarthritis does mean inflammation of the joint. So sometimes there's some significant uh, tissue fluid accumulations of swelling in there. Um, pain that is exaggerated with weather changes seems to be common. You know, people say like, you know, when the barometric pressure changes, you know, I can feel my knee, you know, I can feel my hands or fingers or whatever it is. That's usually a good indicator pain that people have with both active movement and passive movement where no other tissues are engaged um, is often indicated of some type of joint problem. And that might be um, arthritic changes or even, you know, a lot of times arthritis affects the capsule, not the bones themselves, but the capsular tissues as well. And that may be indicative of some of those things going on there. So sort of selectively stressing those particular tissues in different directions may be indicative also of some things that are, are uh, causing or where there's pain being caused by joint disorders or, or uh, joint capsule problems. But you mentioned how the joint capsule can have its own inflammation. Uh, it, it harkens back to uh, the conversation around frozen shoulder. And I'm wondering if there are other joints in the body that can mimic that kind of frozen shoulder uh, encapsulitis. Yeah, you don't tend to see it as frequently. There are some other joints, especially where you have, you know, really great range of motion. It could happen somewhat in the hip, for example, but you don't tend to see it occur as often in many of the other joints because there aren't any joints or there's so few joints, let's say, in the body that have the range of motion that the shoulder has. That's why it's so prevalent there because that range is so great and the capsule itself plays a much greater role in limiting motion. Then let's say, for example, you take something like the knee where motion is limited by the ligaments, by the really tough, strong ligaments that prevent you from you know, buckling your knee completely backwards or from bending completely into the side. It's not so much the capsule that's doing that limitation in the knee. It's really those other strong stabilizing ligaments. And that's most of the time the case in the large majority of joints throughout the rest of the body. But the shoulder is a bit unique in that facet in that it really is the capsule itself that um, does a lot more of that. But then you look at the, the uh, glenohumeral joint capsule too, you, or excuse me, the glenohumeral joint, and you see there's something very different than that compared to the knee, for example, which is the knee is a weight-bearing joint. So the bones are pressing hard against each other every time you're, or the whole time that you're standing or in any, any upright position, whereas the glenohumeral joint is being tractioned. So because we don't locomote with our upper extremities and the upper extremity hangs, off the skeletal torso, there's not compressive forces pushing the head of the humerus into the glenoid fossa. So we don't tend to see arthritic changes in the glenohumeral joint to the same degree that we frequently see them in other weight-bearing joints. Oh. So different problems for different joints. 
Exactly. So look at things, so look at the unique biomechanical demands of each area and say, is this likely that we'd be seeing those kind of changes in those joints? So then it's unlikely we'll come across a frozen knee joint then? Not so likely. Yeah. Right. Well, thank I you have so never much. seen one and never heard of that happening yet, but you'll never know. <laughs> It'll be the, the Loch Ness monster of, of, of <laughs> joint conditions. That's right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Whitney. Okay. Thank you. You can find out more about Whitney and the work that he's doing at the Academy of Clinical Massage. That's www.academyofclinicalmassage.com, where you can learn about this condition and many others. And now we're bringing in Rick Gold, who's our Eastern Massage and Chinese Medicine Specialist, to talk with us. Thanks for joining us, Rick. My pleasure, Haley. I look forward to it. So talk to me about osteoarthritis. In particular, we're looking at the knee joint. The knee joint. Well, again, from within Chinese medicine, what's the knees about? Well, the knee is a reflection of the kidneys. And so, um, again, you can have kidney disharmony without having blood in the urine or hypertension or polynephritis. You know, you can have just a decline in kidney function. It might manifest as too much, you know, unmitigated stress in your life, uh, fearful situations, putting yourself in anxious situations. So um, osteoarthritis comes under the category of accumulation. Um, and it's going to be accumulation of... Uh, metabolic uh, byproducts, and it's an accumulation of toxins in the blood. Um, and so we really want to increase uh, blood flow to relieve it. Um, and we want to increase blood flow by, we say we want to move the energy to, mother's the bloody, blood, blood is the mother of energy, and energy is the mover of blood. And so we want to work on blood and energy simultaneously. Um, we want to strengthen the kidney function, even if there aren't really specific symptoms of the kidneys. Um, there's no reason not to strengthen the kidney function. I would really tend to use the source point of the kidneys, which is kidney three, tonification point of the kidney, kidney seven. These are down by the ankle and the, and the lower leg. Um, UB23 on the back is a kidney associated point. And there's a couple points below the navel. Uh, REN 6 and 4, we would use conception vessel or REN. It's synonymous to and we use. And then we would move to the knee directly. Um, there's a, uh, a acute combination of point. My, teach, my Chinese teacher used to call the eyes and the wings of the knee, um, which if you, if you look at the knee, below the patella, there's going to be two dimples on either side. These are the eyes of the knees. Some people call it the calf nose, nose of a calf. And then superior to the patella. And so these, these four points are often going to be used. The point liver seven on the inside of the knee is known as knee joint. That's how its name translates. That would be a point that I would use. Gallbladder 34, which is on the outside of the knee, um, it's an influential point of tendons and ligaments. That would be a point that would be used. So these points would be used. Um, another thing to do, um, and it's a sort of what we call balance method in the body, is the, the knee and the elbow are correlated. Both of them are, you know, halfway down, and they connect the upper leg to the lower leg and the upper arm to the lower leg. So we're going to search in the elbow for very tender points. Sometimes it's going to be same side, ipsilateral, sometimes contralateral. <clears throat> Whichever model works for you, or you can, you can think about both. There's very specific knee point in the ear. Um, this is ipsolateral, so you're going to do the same side as the knee. If it's one knee or if it's both knees, uh, you would do both. Um, 
kidney strengthening foods like kidney beans and bone broth, uh, aduki beans uh, would be used, uh, warm foods would be used. And then to the knee itself, wrapping the knee in uh, a castor oil poultice would be recommended. It's anti-inflammatory. That's going to help rid the, rid the knee of accumulation and help reinvigorate the connective tissues. Um, with osteoarthritis, um, you want to be careful with your diet. You, again, you, you want to be on an anti-inflammatory type diet. Um, the worst things to eat, to, uh, the things to avoid then are going to be white sugar, white flour, and, and the nightshade families. White potatoes, eggplants, uh, tomatoes. Sad to say, and, and green peppers, bell peppers. Those are all wonderful foods. But if you're having pain, then you, you want to be careful to not put inflammatory foods into the system. Is there a difference in Chinese medicine between cooked tomatoes and raw tomatoes? Well, tomatoes weren't that prevalent in old times in China, apparently. Um, and there are low-acid tomatoes. Um, so... That's a tough one. Ideally, what you would do is remove the seeds from the tomato and the peel and then go ahead and eat them raw or cooked. Now, you have to be a very diligent cook or have a very patient partner who's going to de-seed a tomato. Uh, I did grow uh, seedless tomatoes this summer. They were quite delicious, um, not very prolific. And you're not going to find them in many stores. Um, if you love eggplant, a good thing to do with eggplant is uh, slice eggplant and sprinkle salt on it and have it on a, a drying rack and usually like a cookie sheet underneath. And usually um, if you leave it like that for about an hour, there's going to be a layer of black water on the cookie sheet where you've leached a lot of the inflammatory part of the eggplant out. And again, eggplants, uh, this, it, the skinning is you want to skin them, take the peel off too. The green peppers uh, should just be avoided um, because they're an unripe pepper. If you if you really crave bell peppers, at least get them get let them get red or yellow, um, and then eat them that way. And again, avoid the seeds. Usually, no people usually avoid the seeds and peppers. They're easy to get out. All right, thank yeah. you so much, Rick. Certainly. Now that was Rick Gold. You can learn more about any of the Eastern medicine points he was talking about with a simple Google search. And Rick also develops music for meditation. And you can learn more about that music at www.metamindfulnessmusic.com. And his work there is to help facilitate meditation and mindfulness. So now I'm going to bring in Walt Fritz, who will give us his thoughts from the perspective of a physical therapist who specializes in evidence-informed myofascial release. Welcome, Walt. Thanks for having me, Haley. All right, so talk to me about osteoarthritis of the knee. Sure. As a PT, it's a pretty common diagnosis that I might see. And it's, it, it's, boy, it's really tempting when we help somebody with the pain that they've attributed to arthritis to think that we actually did something about the knee, the joint itself, about the degeneration of the cartilage, et cetera. 
But me helping you with your pain and me changing that arthritis probably have nothing to do with each other. Um, I am going to take a look at you. Uh, obviously, or hopefully you've been screened by your PCP or an ortho or somebody who says, yep, you'd be a good candidate for PT or massage or manual therapy in general. We get an appropriate diagnostic type of a, of a workup before you see me. So we're going to take that for granted here. Um, I'm going to check range of motion. I'm going to check muscle strength. I'm going to check neurological. I'm going to check gait. You're probably going to take a peek at your posture, probably less about me thinking it's important and more about you thinking it's important. I need to meet your narrative too here. Um, We're going to put you on the table and see what it is that provokes you, right? What do you do that, that provokes your pain? What do you do that soothes your pain? I think those are two important questions. We, they typically tell us the first, right? What provokes them? Walking, sitting, climbing stairs, et cetera. But what do you do for yourself that helps it? Sometimes they're able to tell us eloquently and honestly what they do to help, and sometimes they're not so straightforward, right? Um, It could be prescription medication. It could be over-the-counter medication. It could be heat and cold. It could be exercise. It could be stretching. It could be massage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, topicals. And what I say by things like that they don't always tell us, you know, some people self-medicate in a lot of different ways that they don't always tell us what they do that helps their pain. But Hopefully over time, a a relationship of trust builds and they'll start to tell me those things. Um, When it comes to uh, knee pain, I'm probably going to start basically because I'm a manual therapist by trade here. um, I'm going to start some evaluation from a, from a palpation perspective. I, I, I'm going to, poke per se, not poking in terms of aggressively, but poke around the patella, both above, below, and laterally. Um, is that provoking your pain? I'm going to provoke or um, palpate along the joint line. Is any of that tender? I am going to do run through my, my cadre of orthopedic tests, at least the basic ones, to make sure that you're not showing something um, other than whether the, a strict osteoarthritis type of diagnosis might show. Are you showing any instability of the ligaments, et cetera? Anything like that, I'm going to refer you back to see your doctor or ortho. Um, but from, a, uh, from the manual therapy perspective of the, the MFR type work that I do, probably going to put you on the table, lie you supine, maybe with a little little bolster or something on your knee to keep from hyperextending the knee too much. And I'm going to apply some pressure, some stretch, some cross-handed stretch in through the quadriceps region, one hand wringing the upper part of the patella and one midway up the rectus, et cetera. When I I apply that cross-handed stretch to that area, can I start to connect with those symptoms of yours? Meaning, If you're in pain when you lay there, can I do something that seems to quiet your pain? Or if you're not in a lot of pain, can I do something that takes you to the edge of awareness of that pain? That's what my approach is all about, is entering into the continuum of relevancy of the familiar with your symptoms. Not working from that ego perspective where I know what's good for you. I want to see if my pressure, my stretch stretching of your skin and if you will skin to fascia fascia to muscle muscle to bone etc that three-dimensional stretch of you can i somehow make you do say that yeah well whatever you just did that's it right there that's a part of it you're replicating my pain or you're, you're quieting my pain a little bit and to me evaluation is what drives treatment in from the perspective of I want to do something with my hands and the relationship between the two of us where you start to feel that whatever you're doing right now, Walt, that feels like it might be helpful, and that drives intervention. And are there any like typical 
patterns or typical self-care routines that you will suggest for people who are suffering from knee pain or who have osteoarthritis? Absolutely. And I'm rather fond of the patient-centered model because it's basically what I teach and what I do. Um, The patient-centered model basically is when it comes from my treatment, I'm going to do something in terms of evaluation that, that drives treatment where you start to say, as I said just a moment ago, well, whatever you did with your hand with that stretch, that feels really good or that feels useful or that's my pain, but it feels safe. Because what I just did during treatment is exactly what I'm going to try and get you to do with self-care. And I'm fond of using Dyson, which are non-stick pad or non-skid pads that can be, um, you can find them on eBay or Amazon. It's called Dyson, where it just eases the patient's work where they can take their hand and try and replicate the kind of stretch or pressures that I did with my hands where they can start to tap into that same sense of relevance with a self-stretch. I don't think many patients leave my clinic without having been exposed to a little bit of self-care. Self-care to me is about replicating what we did in session in terms of applying a stretch, applying an engagement, applying a movement that you feel should be useful or feels helpful in some way. The other things I'm definitely going to get you back into or hopefully back into is movement, is functional movement, which is what drives people to us to begin with. A person has pain, but the more important question is, it's not just about pain, but what does pain stop you from doing? I want to get you back into that activity. I want to get you back into movement. It might take the form of a pure strengthening exercise, the the things that PTs are noted for. But to me, movement is the common thing that we need to get you back into. And movement can be swimming or walking or dancing or playing. Yes, it can be strengthening as well, but let's get you back moving as well. Thank you so much, Walt. Thank you. So that was Walt Fritz. And if you want to learn more about Walt and his approach or his seminars, you can find more at waltfritz.com. So now I'm going to bring in Meredith Stevens, who will give us her thoughts from the perspective of a physical therapist, structural integrator, and Pilates expert. So welcome, Meredith. Thanks for having me, Haley. So let's talk about osteoarthritis, in particular the knee joint. Yeah. Um, Really, really common, isn't it? You know, um, and it's a tough one. you know, people who I work a lot, you know, my, my uh, practice is mainly healthy aging. And so I'm working with people as they progress through the lifespan. And so I see a lot of knee arthritis um, and a lot of knee arthritis that's more towards that, you know, bone on bone, that stage three, that stage four. Um, and I work a lot with people who do not want to have surgery. So we spend a lot of time Um, trying to work on um, how they're moving, because um, as I'm sure you've talked about, uh, people's movement patterns do change when they have arthritis in the knee. It's a total body phenomenon. So in addition to working on um, how they're moving, their mechanics, um, functional type training, uh, I teach things like how to mobilize their patella. Um, because if your kneecap is not moving, it, if you just sit there in your seat and you bend and flex your knee a couple of times, you'll feel how your kneecap has to move up and down along the front of your femur. Uh, and if it's not moving, you're not going to have full range of motion in your knee joint. 
So uh, I teach people how to do mobilizations on that kneecap and how to traction it a little bit and gap it a little bit so that they're keeping that patella gliding on that surface. And it has made a tremendous difference. Um, I have one woman in particular who has bilateral knee, you know, stage four knee arthritis. Both her patellas are pretty much bone on bone. Um, and she swears by it. And um, we always, we laugh. I work on her. I do. Uh, she does Pilates. She comes to my Pilates classes, which she does weekly Pilates to keep moving. Um, and I work on her about once a month. And we always know that when she hasn't been, if she's been away traveling and she hasn't been doing it, it's like, all right, you got it. Yeah, she's like, I know I've got to get back to it. I'm feeling the difference. Um, So it makes a huge difference to um, do those. Um, Keeping people stretched and keeping them strengthened, you know, keeping that balance between the quads and the hamstrings, keeping people moving. Uh, So something else, people need to have a program of stretches of strengthening so that we have balance, not only around the knee joint, but um, think about what's happening at the ankle. Do we have, also, do we have enough strength in the hip? Are we able to control motion at the hip joint? So make sure that we're looking at those other joints as well as doing core strengthening as well. Again, it's a total body, you know, if we aren't just a knee, we are a total body and that whole system has been affected by having that joint problem. Um, I do do um, taping with people. Um, Depending on the severity of their arthritis, I also will advise bracing. If they still want to be active, um, getting a brace that gives them some good support for that knee so that they can go for a hike, they can go for a walk, they can do other activities, but still protect that joint. Um, Keeping the joint warm is also important. uh, And... um, I also use things such as kinesio taping um, to help with swelling in particular. That's a, it's a great thing to help with swelling. Um, it can also be a way to help suggest to the patella to stay in alignment. Um, kinesio taping is not nearly as strong as the taping that people do when they have a PTs do with the Luco tape, a very strong tape that pushes the patella in position. This is more neuromuscular where it sort of suggests to go into position. Um, and can uh, the kinesio taping can also help with um, muscular you know, tension that's happening as well. So one question I had for you is around uh, talking uh, people into movement, especially, you know, osteoarthritis tends to affect uh, more in the elderly population uh, by and large. Uh, Of course, Mm -hmm. there are exceptions. Uh, But in my experience of working with the older generation is they they tend to be a little bit less aware of their bodies on the whole. Uh, Again, obviously, Mm -hmm. there are exceptions. But a lot of a, a lot of older people from that generation didn't spend a lot of time getting acquainted physically with themselves and their proprioception. So how do you uh, in, create like a, a, a bunny ramp or, or some way of baby steps so that they can, <laughs> they can understand their body more and more uh, and, and really grow into these exercises and movements? Mm-hmm. Um, first thing I do is one, I, you know, just like you said, some of these people don't even move, right? They have a sedentary job still, they drive to work, they sit at work, they come home and they sit. So getting somebody to move 
um, uh, picking something that they enjoy. So whether it's walking, biking, going in the water. Um, so just getting movement is important. Uh, and then if I'm looking and you are exactly right, um, sometimes people's uh, kinesthetic sense or proprioceptive ability and proprioception really does get it, it damaged when we have our arthritis, right? We don't have that same kinesthetic sense. We don't have that same proprioceptive sense. So um, I start with, I start small with that. I try to make things, especially when I'm doing it in a class setting, I make um, balance and proprioceptive things uh, fun. I make it sort of a small group activity where we do um, a lot of, uh, you know, we might do tosses. They might be in a circle and they're having to toss multiple things so we start with one and then we do two and so now they have to attend to multiple things so once again as always i'm getting the brain involved because they have to now start using their peripheral vision but they also have to work balance and reaction time um so uh then i might get three and so now it get, and then it gets fun because then it's chaos and there's something soft. So, you know, somebody might get bonked in the side of the head and it's, it's a funny thing. It's like, oh yeah, I need to start to look. And, and when somebody then says, oh, do you know, I have to use my peripheral vision. Hey, I found out I have to shift my body this way and then I can do this better. And it's those aha moments that, they get, that are spontaneous and get shared with the group that helps everybody learn to move better. Um, but it's fun, you know, and that's key too, to try to bring back that element of enjoyment and fun and play, no matter what your age is. You know, we kind of lose that sometimes as we get older and, and we think these ex exercises should be sort of regimented, but there should be an element of pleasure as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Meredith. Mm -hmm. So that was Meredith Stevens, and if you want to learn more about her work, you can check out her website at www.bodyworksds.com, and she teaches Anatomy Trains workshops, which you can find out at the Anatomy Trains website. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. A big thank you to all of my experienced and esteemed panelists. I continue to be honored that they let me poke and prod their minds on these subjects. It wouldn't be possible without them. Please do rate us on iTunes or through whichever podcast app that you listen to us. And feel free to visit us on Facebook and suggest new topics for me to cover in future episodes. Until then, be well. <laughs>